it's quite a long reading, so I think... Um, <laughs> so sit back in your seats. <laughs> okay, it's from Acts 21, verse 40, through to chapter 22, verse 16. And then we've got another one after that, so I'll continue. The commander agreed... So Paul stood on the stairs and motioned to the people to be quiet. Soon a deep silence enveloped the crowd, and he addressed them in their own language, Aramaic. Brothers and esteemed fathers, Paul said, listen to me as I offer my defense. When they heard him speaking in their own language, the silence was even greater. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Sicilia, and I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. As his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous to honour God in everything I did, just like all of you today. And I persecuted the followers of the way, hounding some to death arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. The high priest and the whole council of elders can testify that this is so, for I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorising me to bring the Christians from there to, Israel, to Jerusalem, in chains to be punished. As I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon, a very bright light from heaven suddenly shone down around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus the Nazarene, the one you are persecuting. The people with me saw the light, but didn't understand the voice speaking to me. I asked, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told everything you are to do. I was blinded by the intense light and had to be led by the hand to Damascus by my companions. A man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law and well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus. He came and stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And that very moment I could see him. Then he told me, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear him speak. For you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptised. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. And then from John 9, verses 1 to 34. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spat on the ground, made mud with the saliva and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, 
Go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbours and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am, the same one. They asked, who healed you? What happened? He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees, because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it, so he told them. He put the mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus is not from God. He is working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see, so they called in his parents. They asked them, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? His parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we know how he can see or who healed him. But we don't know, sorry, how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He is old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said, he is old enough, ask him. So the second time they called in the man who had been born blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind and now I can see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Why, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. Thanks, Mel. Appreciate that. Um, before Lee comes uh, and speaks to us, let's just pray for her now. Um, Father God, we just want to lift up this time where Lou comes and uh, speaks to us. And uh, Lord, we thank you for what you have laid on our heart uh, for us to listen to today. So Father, we ask that you open our hearts to receive your word uh, from Lou today. Amen.
Morning. Good to see you all. So, this morning we finish off this little series, Your Story, My Story, His Story, where we've been just thinking about the power of stories. Of course, I'm going to think that because I'm from Norwich. Yeah, and do you know what Norwich is? Norwich is the city of stories, I realized as I was walking around there yesterday. Norwich, the city of stories. Well, stories are powerful. We've talked about that. We've talked about how our stories are powerful because as people who follow Jesus, our story of being apart from Jesus and now knowing Jesus could help those who don't know him to connect with the story of God, to connect with Jesus, that we could be that link between them and between the story of God in the person of Jesus. Now, there's a story that's been going around, well, not going around, there's a story that maybe some of us might not have come across due to all of the other things that are filling the news at the moment, and maybe rightly so, they are filling the news. Um, But uh, I don't know whether you've come across this story of, I think, is it 41 workers who are building a tunnel in India? Have you come across this story? It's the Silkiara Tunnel. I'm not sure that that's pronounced incredibly correctly, but it's something like that. In the Uttakashi district of India, and they've been trapped. They've been trapped in this tunnel because part of it caved in due to a landslide. And the debris that fell on the tunnel led to its collapse. So it's cut off like all their means of getting out food getting in, oxygen, all that kind of stuff. Obviously, uh, they thought they're they're trapped in about 200 meters in, I think, into the tunnel. None of them were injured, thankfully. They've been trapped now for about two weeks. They're working on what the federal, it's a federal government project they're working on, a highway project. A highway project to improve connectivity to famous pilgrimage spots in the area. So they're working in a really mountainous environment where several Himalayan peaks and glaciers are located, but it's also a geologically fragile place that's very vulnerable to earthquakes, very vulnerable to landslides. I mean, on the face of it, it seems like a completely daft thing to be doing, doesn't it? What a surprise something like this has happened when you're drilling into the side of a mountain. Anyway... The rescue is on big time now. There's round-the-clock efforts to remove this debris and to lay another pipe that could help the trapped men to crawl out. The nightmare of having to do that, crawl 200 metres through a tunnel, when you know it's already collapsed, I don't know, but there you go. They managed to put a smaller tunnel in through which they could put a little camera and so they could see all of them who were trapped and obviously they've been able to send food down this little tunnel to them and all of that kind of stuff. This is a story that has gripped the nation of India. It's gripped it and I'm sure had there not been other stuff in our news at the moment, it probably would have gripped quite a few other nations as well. Why is it a story that would grip a nation? Well, I think this story, I mean, hopefully it will be a good news story They seem quite confident of the fact that they're going to be able to safely get all of them out. But this story, I think, reflects something of God's story. 
if you think about it, how we talked about God's story being a story of design, destruction, and deliverance. It's got tension in it. We can see relationships that are involved in this. We can see the problems, the solutions, the apparent hopelessness every now and again when the things they try maybe don't happen the way they want them to. We can see hope. We can see new beginnings. We can see fresh starts that are hoped for with this. This is why these stories, when they arise, have the potential to not just grip a nation, but also the world. Now, my prayer is that this morning, as we conclude this series on what it means for us to be a storytelling people, is that when you leave here this morning, you will be aware of the fact that your story has the potential to get people gripped and connected with God in the person of Jesus in the same way that these stories unfolding, this story unfolding in India has gripped the attention of the nation. That this place here at London Road, this fellowship, might become a place that encourages and empowers us to get our stories out there. Out where the stories of people's lives seem so distant from God's story in the person of Jesus. Out there where your story, which connects not only with at one time being distant from God, but also being connected with God, can actually help them to connect with God's story. Out there where you and I will have this privilege of listening to people and praying that doors might be opened and opportunities might arise for us to share our stories. Stories of the difference that Jesus has made for us in our everyday living. It was St. Francis of Assisi who said, preach the gospel and use words if you have to. I kind of like that because I think it says it isn't just about words, but also I just want to say we can't just hide behind that and say, we never have to say anything. We never have to say anything. If there was ever a life that was so great that they wouldn't have needed words, surely it would have been Jesus. But even Jesus used words, didn't he? And so after listening to people, getting an open door, you and I should be ready to share our stories. We should be ready to speak them out. Our stories may not be exactly everything a person might need to know, to be able to make a commitment to Jesus there and then. But they will provide a starting point. They will make a connection. And this is just what we see and hear Jesus doing time and time again as he traveled from place to place. He encountered people along the way. The man from the Gerasenes locked away in the place of the dead, possessed by demons. The Samaritan woman at the well. Zacchaeus up a tree. The rich young ruler, blind Bartimaeus. And as we move into the times of the early church, we see again and again that they understood the importance of telling their story. In that reading that we listened to in Acts, uh, we realize that Paul's been arrested in the temple and he's given permission to speak in his defense. Now, Paul was a man who was incredibly, incredibly well educated. He was very well educated and well versed in the art of debate and apologetics and the law. And yet at this moment of incredible importance, Paul chooses not to debate. He chooses 
not to offer arguments. He chooses not to offer propositions for the defense, but very simply, he chooses to tell his story. And I find that quite amazing, really, at that moment. That at such a strategic moment, when he had the wherewithal to do all of that other stuff, he simply tells his story. Simply tells his story. I find it amazing. It would seem to me to highlight that it is so important for us to know that there are times, you know, when maybe we should inform people of the facts and we should argue apologetics, but there are also times when we must realize the power of our own stories and be ready to very simply tell them, just as Paul, this highly gifted man, shows here. And it's this observation that leads me into the story in John that tells us about the healing of the man who was born blind. The religious lot here, you don't have to read in between the lines, to get the idea that the religious lot here are getting a bit angsty, aren't they? They're getting a bit troubled by what's going on here. There's things going on here that they can't quite control and they haven't said is okay. The fact that this man must be an absolute sinner because he's working on the Sabbath, regardless of whether he's done anything good or not, is beside the matter. They're getting a bit angsty about what God is doing. And verse 32 of that reading says, do you know what? Since the world began, it uh, had never been heard that anyone had opened the eyes of one born blind because this is something only God can do. This is why the Pharisees are so eager to find out whether this man had really been born blind. Why they even go to find his parents because after all, you can't trust the story of a once blind bloke because in many ways... See, they'd already made up their minds about Jesus. As in their thinking, he was most definitely not really anything to do with God at all. And so this once born blind, this blind man, uneducated, a man who most probably had endured most of his life being ostracized by society, a man most probably thought of as many as being utterly cursed by God, or at least having committed some great sin that had caused him to be blind, is called to answer the Pharisees' questions. Now, I, I have to pause at this moment because I think it's very easy for us when we read our New Testament here to think about the good guys and the bad guys. Yeah? Disciples are the good guys, Pharisees are the bad guys. But can I point out to you something that was said to us when I was at Spurgeon's, which was a considerable time ago now, really. I know it doesn't look like it was, but it was. And it stuck with me because there's some truth in it. And it's this. Inside each one of you, there will be a little Pharisee trying to get out. And you laugh because you know it's true. Inside each one of us, there will be a little Pharisee trying to get out. Because we like to be able to make judgments. We like to be able to do in control. We like to know, don't we? Be in the know. So as we talk about these Pharisees and this man being brought to the Pharisees' questions, can, can I just say to you, there's, we could have been among that number. Questioning this man. Because what had gone on was unbelievable and it wasn't natural in any way, shape or form. He was born blind and now he could see. That's not normal. He's brought to the Pharisees and what does he do? He tells his story. 
He just tells his story. He's got a very powerful story, this once blind man. And basically, it consists of seven words that go a bit like this. I was blind, but now I can see. That is his story. And the wonder and the beauty of it is, it's easy to remember. I was blind, and now I can see. Easy. That's it. What's happened? I was blind, and now I can see. The Pharisees, though, you see, they seem to want a theological debate, really, because obviously they've got to quite understand what's gone on. They're wanting him to speak out and say that Jesus couldn't possibly be divine, but, you know, once the, once the blind man, the once blind man, rather, he doesn't know anything really about theology. All he knows is his story, and so he tells them again, well, I was blind, and now I can see. And again they said, yes, but how did he do it? How did he do it? Like he's gonna, he was blind, so he couldn't really see what Jesus was doing anyway, which is a daft question to ask, how did he do it? I don't know, because I was blind when he was doing whatever he was doing to make me see. Anyway, how did Jesus do it, they say. And again and again, you hear this once blind man making it clear he can't explain it. He can't set out any really neat theological arguments relating to it. Very simply, all he knows is his story. And his story goes like this. I once was blind, but now I can see. I was blind, but now I can see. And this very simple story brings the religious leaders to their knees. They can't cope with it. They can't deal with it. This very simple story brought by this one man utterly defeats them, really. I mean, he, he even starts joking with them. I love this once blind man's humor, don't you? Verse 27, why do you keep asking about this Jesus? Do you want to become his disciples as well? I love it. I love the fact that when he said that, he could see the expression on their faces as well. That must have been an extra bonus to him as he spoke those words. He just keeps plugging his seven-word story. I was blind, but now I see. Story is powerful. This quote by somebody called Robert McKee, an author, a lecturer, a story consultant, who knew? From California, that explains it. Story is powerful. <laughs> Story, the most powerful way to put ideas into the world today. Well, that's no news, is it? That's why Jesus used story. We're just catching up. Your story has power. Your story has power. Your story has power because like the once blind man and his story, it's a personal one. You know, they ended up throwing this once blind man out. This blind, uneducated man's story has got them all. It cannot be denied. It could not have been argued against because it was personal. Nobody said, I don't think that's quite right. You obviously weren't once blind. They couldn't. It was a personal story. They couldn't argue it. No one could say, I think actually you're probably wrong because it was his story. He knew it wasn't wrong. In keeping his story personal, I was blind, and now I see. This man's story becomes compelling. It's about him. You know, some of the most compelling adverts that we see on TV are personal ones, really, aren't they? They get some celebrity. I mean, it doesn't work if you don't know who the celebrities are. 
which sometimes can happen, can't it? Like with, you know, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. You look and go, well, I know that is, and I know that. I haven't got a clue who that one is. I mean, you get to know, but you didn't know before. But if they're a celebrity that you know, they get these celebrities out to go, I really like this product. It works for me. I found it really works brilliantly. Spend your money on it. Um, what was it used to be like the Daz adverts? Do you remember the Daz adverts? Can you still buy Daz? I wouldn't know. Maybe you can. I don't know. Um, Daz adverts. They could have wheeled the managing director of Daz out on the streets to, to have talked about how Daz cleans clothes very well. But they didn't. They did the Daz test. Do you remember the Daz test? Most of the women and... Sorry? No, you just don't remember because you never had anything to do with doing the washing, my love. <laughs> that almost deserved a round of applause. Come on, girls. Where were you? Thank you. In the dust test, that you might not remember, my love, um, because it was to do with washing clothes, um, they just took, they went to simply very ordinary women who have mucky watching, just like the rest of us girls quite often had to put up with. You know, kids, sports, animal spillages. Um, and these women would go, yes, it really works for me. It's cleaned all of these clothes. And you see, this can't be denied. Their stories couldn't be denied. Somebody couldn't go up and go, you liar, that never got that grass state. Nobody could do that. It was a personal story. It couldn't be denied or argued with. And it was compelling. The stories become more compelling if they are told by people that you identify with. If they are told by people that you know, that you love, that you live nearby. The blind man kept his story personal. Jesus had healed him. Not some bloke from somewhere in history, but him, here, now. He was blind, but now he could see. His story was powerful because it was personal. Your story will have power because it's personal. Your story also has power when you tell it, I think, because you're the expert in your story. You are. The best person to talk about the difference that Jesus has made to you in your life isn't some other person from down the road. It's you. So many people will say, well, you know, I'm not very good at telling my story or sharing my faith because I don't really know my Bible very much. Or I'm no good at apologetics. I don't understand the Trinity. Who does? If you put your hand up now, I really would like to sit and have a chat because I sense there's lots I could learn. Who does? I don't understand the atonement theories. Who really does? I can't pronounce some of the names and places in the Bible. Nobody really can. If you just say it with a bit of authority, people think you've done it right. That is the way you get around that. I can't tell my story. You can. You're the expert in your story. Stop making excuses. No one knows your story better than you. The blind man in this story was no expert in anything, really, other than his story. But look what happened when he told it. When he spoke about what it was that he knew. When he spoke about his experience. I was blind and now I see. Your story has power because it's personal. 
And your story has power because you are the expert in it. Your story has power also when, like the once blind man, you keep it real and authentic. Because we all know stories can become embellished with time, don't we? Everybody does it. We embellish stories with time. Keep it real. Keep it authentic. There is no pretense in anything about this once blind man's story. It was real, it was genuine, and like this man's story, your story will answer people's questions at some level. You see, the question that the Pharisees really wanted to answer was, is this Jesus bloke divine? Is this Jesus bloke really the one we've been waiting for that's going to be sent from God? Well, this once blind man didn't really know, did he? But in keeping his story personal, in sticking to what he knew he was an expert in, in keeping it real and in keeping it authentic, he did answer their question. The answer again and again and again was a resounding yes. Every time this once blind man spoke his seven words, I was blind, but now I can see, he is proclaiming to the world, this Jesus actually probably is God. Because no one else could do such a thing. Your story as well will answer people's questions at some level. Because today, the majority of people who do not have any connection with church or Jesus or anything, what they really want to know is this. Does it work? Does it work? Does this God stuff, this Jesus stuff, does it work? Is it real? Your story will answer that question. And it will do so in many different ways. So go out and listen to people and listen so that you might know the stories you can tell from your experience of Jesus in your lives. The stories that are best going to connect with the person who's in front of you. You know, if they're struggling with illness, the best story is not likely to be one about God's provision for you in a financial crisis or something, is it? But you'll be amazed at the stories that you can tell that will speak into somebody else's situation and cause them to consider the reality of Jesus Christ and the possibility that all that you are speaking about could really be true for them too. There are, I know, within this room, hundreds, maybe thousands of stories just here in this room of how trusting in Jesus and having Jesus present with you has helped in times of fear, in moments of low self-esteem, of loss, of bereavement, of anger and frustration and resentment, of unforgiveness, of work difficulties, of marriage problems. There are hundreds of stories of how trusting in Jesus Christ has given strength, has provided peace, has granted patience, has maintained hope, has brought comfort and forgiveness and healing and love and purpose. The right story at the right time will unleash the power of the Holy Spirit into a person's life, into their situation. So are you going to do it? Are we as a group of people ready to take the risk of telling our stories to others, to work on our stories? When I say work on them, I don't mean embellish them. I mean just work out how we can say them without someone dropping off before we get to the main point. How we can keep them personal. 
how we can keep them real and authentic, remembering we're not called to answer the questions that we think people should be asking, because that's quite often what we do as Christians. You should be asking questions about this, so I'll tell you the answer. And then what we find we do is we're telling them the answer to stuff they haven't asked a question of. We should just be telling our stories simply, succinctly, readily. For my story and your story are powerful because they are personal. Because we have the opportunity to tell them. Because they're real and authentic when we do tell them. And that they have the potential to connect people with God's story about Jesus. And all Jesus has done, the ultimate good news story, one that far outweighs even the darkness to light story of hopefully this rescue of the trapped workers in India, in its offer of hope, the scale of its rescue and the new beginnings that it will offer. So go in readiness to share your story, to speak about all the things that Jesus has done for you. And do that, not just because I'm standing up here saying it. Do it also, because if you remember rightly, the mission statement here, this church, is all about being totally committed to God and empowered by God's Spirit and introducing others to Jesus. And when you go out and tell your story in the way that this blind, once blind man did, you're living that, you're embodying that committing yourself to God the Father, being empowered by the Spirit, speaking your stories, connecting those who don't know Jesus to the truth of all that he is and he could be for them right where they are. So let's pray, shall we? Let's pray. This morning, Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your story that we find our part within. We thank you that from the very beginning of time, we see in the story of God that you have pursued each one of us with love, that you have relentlessly followed us with your goodness and your mercy. That your desire is that we know you that we are with you, that we are transformed by your love, that we become like you, and that we continue to do the things that Jesus did as people who belong to your kingdom. We thank you for the beauty of your story of salvation, for all that it means to each one of us. And Lord, as we think about the importance of us being ready to speak and share our stories with those who do not know you, we pray that each one of us might be emboldened in the power of your Holy Spirit. That we might know the power that there is within our stories when we speak about all that you have done for us for the many ways in which you have changed us, transformed us the times when we have known you very close, when we know that we could not have managed had it not been for you, for your grace, for your love, and the many times when we know that when we have mucked it all up again, you've picked us up, you've brushed us down, you've showered us with love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness, and you've invited us to keep walking with you. For the power and the beauty of your story, we thank you. And we thank you that in Jesus it is ours. 
Help us to tell our stories well to those your spirit is already at work with, in, for the glory of your name. Amen. Amen.